Hello and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Happy Christmas to all of you, wherever you are in the world. I want to give a big shout out to our chosen charity partner, as always, Jigsaw.ie. Please check them out this Christmas. They are saving lives as we speak and they need your support. So pop over to Jigsaw.ie to support them. Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner, as always. Well, this week we don't really have a Christmassy episode, but what we have is an Irish music legend, Jack Lukeman. He joins me for this fascinating discussion about his life and career and how 2020 treated him. And this is really one that I held on to because there's so much in it and it kind of felt like an end of year piece that would resonate with you as you go on your walk uh, and think about things as we round out this peculiar year. Jack speaks about leaving school at the tender age of 15, the importance of learning how to work. And he also tells this incredible story of moving to Holland and how his performance style developed as a result and really how he plays every show as if it's his last. I know that's a cliche, but if you've seen Jack, you'll understand that that's exactly what he does. We get into his fondness for his hometown, the legendary Atai, and also how he handled creativity in the pandemic, his thoughts on the music business itself, and much, much more. To hear the full discussion, the entire unabridged interview, as a further half an hour of this chat, and maybe a little bit of change after that, on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad it's where our full archive exists this year's been big for us this move to patreon was how the podcast was to survive and thanks to your generosity and your recognition of a good deal when you see it you have allowed me to continue making this show when stand-up comedy kind of ceased to exist the other half of my life and threw my heart and soul into this thing and for a lot of you it's been your partner through these strange days i'd love if in the new year you came over and gave it a try even for a month you can cancel it any time you like but i tell you this there's hundreds of hours of quality discussion uh, from all sorts of people on all manner of subjects i think if whatever you're into however weird your interests you'll find something in there that you'll truly love. It's patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I won't go on about it any longer. I'll just tell you that the juicy stuff from Jack really happens over there. This first half an hour is quality, but the second half of every conversation, the, the last the last three pints are always the best ones. And boy, oh boy, are we looking forward to getting back to that day. I will be back in Ireland the second I get vaccinated and we will announce plans to go to New York in 2021 and meet up with Marion McKeown and do a live Irishman in America with her and also an event with Sonia O'Sullivan the Irishman running abroad in Cove itself in April there's so much to look forward to and you'll get access to every scrap of it by joining us and supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad but for now sit back relax walk the dog whatever it is you're doing just enjoy Jack Lukeman. That's the small talk. Now let's go down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately 
I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Jack Lukeman, it's brilliant to have you on Irishman Abroad at last. Our paths have crossed many, many times over the years, but we've never managed to arrange this sit down. And I, I, I often see musicians and comedians as kind of brothers in arms in many ways, because we both selected a really weird choice in life. We've both gone a path that it just is it's an, it's not anti-establishment but it's certainly not on the careers choice in school do you feel that way about when other entertainers or do you feel feel that musicians stand alone on their own no i think it is an alternative lifestyle for sure it is a, a path not not easily traveled because there's very little security in it as we've found out in the modern situation but i mean we found that there's not security in anything in the modern situation but it is yeah it is an alternative kind of lifestyle but i mean i'm i'm very used to it you know i've always kept odd hours and um never been good at doing the kind of status quo kind of stuff as regards other musicians yes very much so and other comedians especially i mean i'm a big comedy fan so i would uh yeah, I would consider them brothers in arms because it's a shared kind of experience that um, is quite bizarre and random. And it's, it's you know, and I see it from a perspective of being, I always think the music industry is only, you know, 100 years old, really. Uh, pre that, if you were this way inclined, you were going door to door or you were the, the fellow who'd sit around the campfire and have the stories and the songs. So it's, I like it because it's a very, it's it's a very old thing that's uh, that humans still enjoy and are willing to or were willing to go out and <laughs> go to a venue and have a shared experience of music and so to do that and yet yeah, I I always love you know I love doing the Edinburgh Festival just meeting loads of comedians actors musicians festivals are wonderful music festivals it's really the only place you get to meet people either that or late at night in some petrol station in the middle of nowhere <laughs> where is where you meet a lot you of people bad. as yeah, well yeah. and I yeah. I I had read that. Uh, the reason why I brought up the comedy thing was I had read that early doors Tommy Tiernan had supported you and Jason Byrne had supported you. Yeah, Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Tommy supported me in the Dark Club once, and I think Jason supported me in the uh, Olympia. But I, I knew Jason; we had uh, uh, we had mutual friends basically, so we 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 knew each other in the air. I actually think I saw one of his first ever gigs in the international bar was his first or second which i think that could be wrong but i think it incorporated putting on a double coat backwards and putting the hood up or something to that effect <laughs> but uh, but i've i always loved that you know i saw a lot of the being around in the uh, mid 90s in dublin and, and going to the international and seeing people like you know 
Glenn Hansler playing in a small room, or Damo Dempsey, Mundy, uh, Paddy Casey, Dr. Miller, all these people, and seeing them playing in small rooms like the Dark Club. I feel very privileged to have seen that and then see it, see them evolve. And the same with comedians. I mean, to see I mean, comedy took off more than music almost since then. So to see people progress to the heights they have is is a... Uh, it's it's fascinating. So so when I talk to those comics of that era, they always say to me, you know, we never got into this expecting to play arenas or to make money. It was, as Dylan Warren said to me, it was this or write shit poetry. I I kind of looked at your your beginnings in it and you're leaving school at 15 and I, I guess I connected the two that for for you early doors it was a vocation it was just something that you were drawn to and this this trip to Holland where you go to work in a bulb factory ultimately sell your your sleeping bag and have to operate as a a kind of a, a homeless Jack Kerouac type uh, drifter offering to do people's gardens is when the light bulb comes on that if I am going to have a life, it may as well be the life I want in music. Is that right? Yeah, well, I suppose I always at some stage I, I realized life was just a dubious experiment. So you might as well have as much fun as you possibly can or just experience everything you can. And, you know, I came, I came from I, I was I was always that way inclined. I wasn't very good in school. I just couldn't pay attention. My head was always somewhere else. It was in music or it was I was always fascinated by what it was like outside school. What did people do during the day <laughs> when they had you, when they had you trapped here? And I still think about that. And I, that's why I, I still when, when you're looking for something to inspire you, I still think of those thoughts and uh, mm. those moments. But um yeah, I was. Uh, I, I was. I left school about fifteen, and I was. It was kind of a mutual agreement by <laughs> all, all concerned. Yeah, you but, said that it was just a case of don't say anything to anyone. School's going yeah. back, and yeah. I just won't go. There was yeah, never a I, sit down or any kind of discussion about it. Not really, no, because I, I, it had been dwindling out. I, you know, I was getting, in, I was going, I wasn't going basically a lot of the time, and I wasn't. If I did go, I wasn't wearing the uniform and all that kind of stuff. So uh, every summer, we've we we have a family garage that dates back a few generations, and everybody, you know, the extended family, everybody worked in the garage. So come the summer, you would work in the garage since you were able to do anything. You know, you'd work the petrol pumps or whatever, and. That particular summer, I started working in a garage. People went back to school. And, yeah, as I recall it, nobody really said much. I just continued working in the garage, as my father and my brother did before. Were you happy? Were you happy at that? I I was never, you know, my head was never in a place where I wanted... It was, I, was, I was a truck mechanic, basically. That's, that's, uh, and it's heavy, hard work mm. that you really need to be into but I definitely I learned how to work I learned how to begin a job a beginning a middle and an end how to use my body you know things that they don't teach you in school you mm. know how to how to do things how to solve problems it's a f fantastic job from that aspect and uh, you know you 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 uh, 
you basically learn how to work. I think that's something they need to teach people in school. And you have a lot of time that. to think, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of as you described on Friday night at the Irish Men Abroad Comedy Club, you're at the end of the day alone with your voice in these kind of big booming acoustic settings like the empty uh, uh, shed or barn. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, are you thinking as you're singing to yourself and hearing the reverberations of your own voice of a wider horizon or was a tie as you know anyone who's been to a tie will know it really is a small town as you would imagine anywhere in the world it doesn't matter who's listening to this whether you're in the united states or in deepest darkest scotland a tie is that small town it has that feel of sure why would you want to go anywhere else this is a tie this is where you want to be yeah yeah no i remember it. i remember it being how could that ever happen you know i mean that that you would become a musician and I, but i did i did while well, i was suppose i was training uh, to be a mechanic which i never finished but i did three and a half years i supposed to do four so i'm nearly there i still could do it but anyway <laughs> I I, it, Jack. <laughs> uh, well the way things are going you know? <laughs> uh but i um so yeah i would sing all day to entertain myself and bug everybody else so i suppose that was i mean the voice is a muscle so it was a lot of training went on there i was lucky enough to be born with a voice where it's like being born with the ability to play guitar pretty good so it was it was a something that would take me away music was always the escapism but i all i remember that thought too that uh, you know how could i do that that's impossible because i didn't come from a culture where that was possible everybody you know had a job and, and got a mortgage and did all those things so would you have known of nobody in the biz no, I didn't know anybody in the biz. Uh, but myself and my friends would play, would meet, meet in the garage and uh, we would play music. We would do, and we started doing gigs in pubs and things like that. And uh, that, I suppose, gave me the confidence as a, when I was a mechanic to, uh, and I was, you know, I would sing and people would react. And I, re I remember distinctly one day, I always say a Monday morning on a wet Monday morning lying under a, let's say, a pig shit lorry, uh, a pig lorry, but it was pig shit dripping in my face and doing a back spring. I would, let's say it's a high note. It was pretty difficult and uh, thinking to myself, hmm, I, I'm going to I'm going to go and do something, you know. So when and, this friend comes up, right, let's say. Uh -huh. So you have that moment of. Look, that's obviously a moment when you realize I can do that with my voice and I should follow this talent mm. ahead of this talent to get these cars to run. If what happens if this friend doesn't come to you and present the trip to Holland? What do you ever think about that? Mm, yeah, I think I was going anyway. You know, at that point, I, as all people do, they, they want to get out. You want to get out of where you are. It's just there's just the, the conversation isn't big enough. I mean, as you go through life, you end up realizing, as you said, a tie is every town in the world. As you travel, you realize every place is the same. People are just doing the same things and the same things are going on. To be still connected to the place where you came from and have generations spanning back is a fantastic thing, you know, to have those roots. That's what life is all about, you know. But yeah, I, I think I was going anyway.
but yeah, it was it was an opportunity, and I, 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 my friend who was also serving an apprenticeship, uh, who had left school early too, he finished his, and he was going, and I wasn't, and I was I, I, I jacked it in basically. I, I kind of under much duress, I just went. Was that your first time out of the country? No, I, I'd been to France and I'd been to the UK, and um, but yeah, I, it was actually my first time on a plane. Would you believe? So yeah, that, that was exciting. <laughs> And we, I, we, there was three of us. We carried a, a, one of those old, massive tents that was. I don't know how we actually carried it, but somewhere along the way, we were we, we were working in factories, and you know, I really enjoyed that as well. I mean, working conveyor belts. I think I learned how to uh, transcendental meditation sitting there all day. Just you would just put on the headphones and drift away. I have amazing memories, but maybe we romanticize these things. But then I began busking singing on the streets i met a guy with a guitar and then i was making more money busking than i was in the factories and that was i suppose i think it was said the other night that 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 is the moment where you realize i can actually survive doing this because it is a it's a quantum leap when you come from a a, a culture of you know you know just doing having a steady job uh, and music is by no means a steady job, but to realize that you can actually survive doing it. And I suppose I, ha I had the good work foundation that I knew how to, the hard work would bring you things if you work hard enough. You have uh, like uh, never really spoken negatively about that time or that place. I mean, most I find that quite unusual that you credit that time you love your connection to a Thai people tend to you know shit on that kind of experience and go oh like and then I I came to the realization that there was a bigger wider world out there and I got sick of this that and the other uh, why is that Jack like what why is it that you have a real fondness for that in a way others don't like i'm not saying there aren't people that are fond of a thai or these small towns but it's so common for us to hear oh and i had to get out i mean even down to the fact that you very much retained your thai accent was that a conscious decision along the way no not really i mean i i, I don't know i i it is the thing people always say that you, you know your voice is different but i always think you you it, you Music, music, you know, and you've learned, uh, you've learned from the radio and from modern culture. So that, I suppose, that that accent comes in when you sing, and yes, it's different to, to my speaking voice. But I don't know. I, I, I mean, I did. I, I went through the whole phase of hating where I came from, and and mm. as is the cliche is. But as I say, you could, you travel all the way around the world to find your your way back home <laughs> yeah. to realize that. Everywhere is the same, you know, and I, you know, I've, I've family in America, I've been there for years and all that, and I admire people who travel and can make a life somewhere else. But I've been lucky enough to be able to travel lots and then have a, a, a have my roots somewhere that I could come back and uh, regroup your head when you're, you know, away for months in a different you know a different hotel every night in a different place but yeah i i don't know um yeah people do like the shit on where they came from but i always think you know places like you know something that if it's a if it's continually abused it'll never evolve so you have to you have to push positivity into it and uh i'm just uh, you know being a musician you have to be some kind of blind optimist but yet totally fatalistic at the same time it's a mm -hmm. it, 
it's a balance because well, I say fatalistic because things half the things you do don't want to happen don't happen or are supposed to happen because there's so much organisation involved a lot of the time but uh, yeah I've always had you know I've always had a drive I don't I was born the way I am and I haven't changed that much I'm not particularly I'm probably more introverted than I am extroverted but I'm able to become an extrovert when I go on stage or doing having conversations like this but I don't crave attention, but it's just part of what I do. I just using, I suppose, the what you might call the, the gifts I've been given to to do what I can with them. Music is the magic in the world. It is uh, laughter. Comedy is too. They are, like I said, are very primal old things that still exist in the modern materialistic weird world where everybody thinks it's all about things, but it's not. It's a it's. It's about things you can't have in your hand, kind of, you know. Um, so, and music has always been, as I say, it's been the escapism for me all my life. And a great, it's my religion in some respect. So, I'm evangelistically just going around spreading it. <laughs> I mean, and just it's trying also to, just trying to flick the switch in people's heads. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's also what, sometimes when I find myself going to that place of, Oh, what was that about? Why was it like that back then? You kind of, I, I find myself back at the place of, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't have been looking for the escape if I hadn't come from there. Is, is that at all a thought in there that, you know, had you not grown up in a Thai, you maybe wouldn't have sung as much? Maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, music also was it was a big thing growing up you know uh, my family were you know into music art culture and all all that was going on but yeah i yeah I, that, that yearning that i mean i wrote all that bad poetry as a kid i mean that's <laughs> that's um i did all that and maybe that's what i would be still doing if uh, if i hadn't left but yeah it does uh, you know, but I, I don't know. I, my, my my brothers and sisters were great. They all traveled to American places, so I knew it was possible to uh, to do it. To do it. Um, so I suppose they were inspirations in many ways. And going and busking around Europe, and you know, and I did go through the whole thing of losing. I told you about ten. We sold it for money, and then we were sleeping in ditches, and we were going house to house, yeah, looking for work. And then I kind of got steady going at the busking, and from there I. Um, well, I headed back to Dublin and moved back to Dublin and uh, started. That's where I started playing in the Dark Club in Dublin, and that kind of went on to the Olympia. And so that's then, the yeah, and that is and that is the you know the lore behind you. That's the origin story. Is that you return and start this legendary residency in the Dark Club, which is the Dublin Arts Club at the time, and. <laughs> As you've said before, everybody claims to have been there to mm. see this, even though how many mm. people did the room hold? Oh, I, I, I'd be surprised if it held 100. But it was, there were wild times. I mean, it, 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 it <laughs> you would enter there at night time and you would leave and it would be bright out. It was that kind of place. And we would go on at 12 o'clock and a bell would toll. And yeah, I, I am always fascinated by the amount of people I meet who say <laughs> They were they were there, but we were, we would stuff it out. We did stuff it out for a long time, for a long, long and time, right? And the you know the performances that you were putting in there uh, tie in with what you've said before about your 
you you like to do each show as if it's your last, which which sounds cliched until you see it, and then you realise that is what it, you're doing up there. It's a completely letting it go as if this may be the last one of these that I get to do. That thought, though, right? You can't obviously busk in that manner, or did you? When did that idea of what you believed performance should look like. When did that begin? And when did you green light yourself to do it? Yeah, well, the busking, yeah, is different. It's it's about projecting your voice and trying to draw people in. But I would always, initially, you just close your eyes and you sing and hope that does the trick. But uh, when you get I suppose comfortable with it, you begin to engage the audience. And I suppose I that it, to me, I saw the Dakla was my apprenticeship as a, as a, as a, a on stage uh, performer. I never premeditated how I performed. I just think because I'm such a, a big singer and and I do a lot of songs that are, you know, character driven or very passionate kind of. Not, not the Maulers, they're obviously the the uh, quieter tunes too. But I see how I perform as just an extension of song and how I'm singing because singing is a very physical act it's physical it's spiritual it's you know cerebral it's it's all the things it's very much so I see it as a form of meditation that you're in the center of the song and it's chaos around you but you're in the middle of it that little light inside your head uh, focusing on that and when you when you can do that and stay there and still then engage with an audience and you just want to you just want to lift people up like music lifted you up and took you somewhere else and just change the channel because we have all been indoctrinated into the the corporate capitalistic world, which is very bad for your head, you know, and it's not what we're about. Music is what we're about, you know. So I just wanted to do that. So it wasn't very premeditated. So some of the early stuff doing the Jacques Brel songs, they were obviously very theatrical. So that pushed me that way and I've always and then I, I suppose became rocky and then I became poppy and then I went back to the theatre side of things and so I've always shifted around and confused the audience <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that is not the most Irish thing of all right because I've I think everybody knows how much the Irish audience loves their boxes, their pigeonholes and their places, their comfort in knowing and that's what you do. I talked to Mundy on the show about this, who's experienced it as well, that they actually can tend, certainly the Late Late Show audience can tend to be averse to change. Uh, when you hit, let's say, the Point Depot, February 12th, 2000, there must have been a sense of, and now we have you, and now we know what Jack does. Can you keep shoveling coal in the engine down that track? Did you hit that point and think, no? Or was that ever a conversation or a discussion? Well, maybe subconsciously inside my head. I, I did. I, I suppose I do always try to do something different every time just because that's what I, I'm just keeping myself entertained, really. You know, I, I, getting I suppose that big that quick I, I was touring America a lot of the time that was just another thing that was on the list it wasn't it wasn't obviously it was a big deal it was live on the TV 
but I don't think the problem. I think the problem was that I couldn't be put in a box. I, you know, I, a lot of the songs were. were, were I've, I've always, I've always wanted to do all musical styles. So, I, I know the media and everything wants to put everything in a box, and I understand that we do it in our own heads. But I've always been more interested in in, in what's next. What else can I try? And you know, I went from that album would have been Metropolis Blue, which is a very band oriented album to what. And then it was the 90s samples and, and all the kind of stuff. So the next album was quite electronic and that probably drew people, which, which again, people too. And uh, it's kind of continued that way. And I'm very proud of everything. I just want to be proud of the things I do with that. I could stand by albums I did 20 years ago and go, yeah, I, that's what I did. And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't, you know, early on I had you know, dealings with the big record companies and all that kind of stuff. But it was always, you know, sing the standards or, or, or trying to push you a certain way. Didn't want to do your own stuff because I'm, a, I suppose, first and foremost, a vocalist. So at that kind of point, I realized, you know, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to do that. And I, I was just going to end in horror. <laughs> well, let's stop there. Now, hold sorry. on, hold on. Before we go anywhere there, I, uh, I, I don't want to breeze past that because I, I guess the big label experience is, is, uh, tends to be of them giving you advice and the artist going, having to make the choice. They've given you the advice on what's going to make them the most money because that's their primary concern and you tell me if this is incorrect and you thinking about well what's going to give me the most artistic fulfillment <laughs> and it, trying to get those two subsets to overlap is what you're what you're trying to get to so that everyone's happy but you said that that way lay hell and heartbreak yeah, well, I always think I always say music is an ox music business is an oxymoron because they're two de very different words and music comes from an eastern